Hi, and welcome to Real Estate Keeping It Simple. This is your host, Ray Dove, with REMAX Eastside Brokers, Inc. here in Bellevue, Washington. Hope everyone's doing well. I hope you're safe. I hope everyone in your family's safe and well. Kind of interesting times for sure these days, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of things we still need to think about as we consider refinancing our home or buying a home. So I thought this week, I would introduce you to Marilyn Conyers with the Touche team with Caliber Home Loans. She's uh, based out of Bothell, Washington. I met her a week or so ago on a Zoom meeting with a group of people and thought that she had some really good, powerful information and some real good insights of what you can expect and look for and maybe even answer some of your questions about some of the, the things that you can do to, to help you with some of the new government programs that are available to you and also maybe answer some questions you have or some concerns about what these new government programs might mean to you so with that i'm going to turn uh, the microphone so to speak over to Marilyn. we are recording this podcast remotely so if it's not the best sound quality bear with us but we're, between the two of us we're going to do our best to give you good information so welcome Marilyn. thanks for joining us this week yeah, thank you so much, Ray. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, be on your podcast here and uh, kind of share some information and, and uh, light on what's really going on in the industry of lending and credit and uh, the F word, uh, forbearance, uh, as well as, um, you know, how deferments on other trade lines look from a lender's perspective and just talk a little bit about, um, you know, risk levels and what that truly means for buyers in today's market. Well, let's, why don't we talk about the F word a little bit? We'll, we'll head off on that because I know there's a lot of discussion earlier that the forbearance program was for those people that were losing their jobs, maybe didn't have enough cash in the bank to make their house payments if they lost their job because it takes a, it took a little while. It's even taking longer for people to get unemployment benefits and any kind of monies that the federal government was going to send their way. And there's this discussion that, well, if you do the forbearance, some lenders might want you to pay that back after three months or six months, have a lump sum payment, or maybe not to the end of the loan. And then there's, gee, if I do a forbearance, will it show up on my credit report? Because I know initially there's a lot of people thinking of doing the forbearance without having the need to do a forbearance. So the market was flooded with those opportunists as opposed to the people that maybe really needed that help. So what's changed since then when it was first announced to what it is today? Yeah, that is an excellent question, excellent lead in there. Um, you know, and basically, as of uh, just a, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, when they came out, uh, there were and the numbers are, are pretty. They're they're going down from the forbearance request, but we were at about four million uh, homeowners in forbearance, uh, and and like you said, it it really didn't even have anything to do with uh, oh gosh, you know, am I am I going to lose my job? Am I going to make you know be able to make that mortgage payment? Um, a lot of folks, yes, were in that situation. They they took that opportunity, but they really are, were not required to provide documentation to prove that they were headed for this hardship, right? So, uh, so we had a lot of people just opt into it without really understanding how it worked, what it was going to look like, um, 
they were told, you know, that they could take a three-month forbearance period, and after that, it would be due in full. Uh, there was a, a lot of different opportunities and different options to to pay that back that started to come out. And uh, we were able to finally get some guidance on that uh, in May of, of how that was really going to work. And so um, so people get on the phone, they called up their servicer, they said, I want to apply for a forbearance, great wish granted, boom, now they're in it. And then the panic starts happening because lenders were coming out saying, oh, nope, they have to make sure that that's all paid back in full. We're not going to be able to refinance or, or purchase anybody that has gone into forbearance. Um, and, and then they came out and realized, okay, that's really going to, to put uh, a big pinch on home ownership in America. And we could be looking again at, at facing what we faced back in 2008 with a, a housing bubble. Um, you know, what happens if somebody, can, you know, if you can't make your mortgage payment because you lose your job and your forbearance uh, timeline is up and now all of a sudden you have to come up with, you know, three, six months worth of a house payment. Uh, you know, the whole point of the forbearance is I don't have the funds to pay the mortgage or, or I'm concerned I won't have the funds. So what makes people think they're going to have those funds once that comes due, right? So, uh, so back uh, on March 27th, um, President Trump signed in the, the CARES Act, which is the Coronavirus uh, Relief and Economic Security. Uh, and that's where we saw stimulus checks come out. That's where we saw lots of um, you know, the, the payroll protection. And then that's when, again, the options for forbearance deferment uh, really started to kind of kick up into gear. Um, so with that, uh, new guidance has come out. And again, I always like to preface it with, it's every week there's, there's different uh, evolution with this process. But as of now, um, you know, if somebody did take a forbearance uh, and let's say they took a three month forbearance, that three months is coming due. Uh, they now have a few different options depending on their servicer of, of how they can work those payments. So you can add that to the, uh, the life of the loan and pay that at the end. You could uh, do an option where you're, um, you're kind of spreading out that forbearance payments uh, in your monthly mortgage payment. Um, you could uh, you know, do a modification if it rolled into some situation like that. but the biggest relief seemed to come from being able to add the the forbearance um, time frame the payments that were in that time frame to the loan itself uh, so let's say three months forbearance okay i'm after that three months i'm back on my feet we're going to pick back up regular payments is normal because let's say i chose to add that to the end of my loan uh, and now i've made three regular payments paid as agreed now, if I, I'm able to go ahead and, and extend, you know, for either refinance, I can check into that, or if I wanted to purchase another property, I, I now have those options again, as long as it's a, um, you know, a federally backed uh, mortgage that's held. So uh, that's been a saving grace. And I think that's really uh, going to help smooth out the, uh, the rush of uh, foreclosures uh, that we were we were kind of headed towards. So there's been some positives there. So on that forbearance, if someone applies, I know initially the fear was that it was going to show up on their credit report. Yes. So, yeah. so let's chat about that a little bit. And then also, as you're talking, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what about people that are collecting unemployment now? How does that affect credit? Yeah. And then the last leg of that CARES Act, 
is suppose my employer needed to go get the payroll protection program in order to pay me as an employee when the verification of employment goes to the employer is one of the questions going to be are you paying your employee through the payroll protection plan or is your company liquid enough to meet your payroll Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see those could be rippling effects there on you the lender trying to protect your asset which is the money you're loaning because mm -hmm. you don't want to loan money to someone that has a high risk of not making the payments mm -hmm. and, I, and I genuinely believe that people aren't trying to get loans not to make the payments that's right. not that's not the end game but so how is the lenders or how are the underwriters looking at these three pieces forbearance how's that affect credit and employment and the ppe which is the payment protection program yeah great great questions i'm so glad you asked those so uh with the forbearance option um it it does not have a negative impact on the credit report uh, there, with you know, if somebody takes a, a deferment on student loans, or if they had to work something out with another creditor um, for a deferment or uh, you know payment plan option, um, as long as it was agreed upon between that person and the creditor, um, it it will usually show it. There's going to be a code on the credit report that will uh, alert a lender that okay something has has gone on here as far as a natural disaster. So there'll be an alert but it will show current. So the status will not show it's in arrears. Um, it's not going to show late. Um, as long as the terms that were agreed upon uh, are being met, uh, it's just going to show up as there was a, a disaster relief that was taken advantage of here. Um, from a lender's perspective, uh, again, they're gonna see the, the credit report, the credit rating, they're going to uh, be able, they just need to make sure that that borrower, if they took that forbearance on their mortgage, has been rectified. They're going to, you know, either again, add it to the end of the loan or however they're going to work that piece out. And they have made three months payments as agreed. So that's that's a guidance as of now. And then they should be able to look at refinancing and or, um, you know, purchasing another property if they wanted to do that. So. Likewise for you know, student loans, it's it's going to show that there is some sort of deferment. Um, they took advantage of a, a program available for disaster relief. Um, but then what we have to do on those trade lines is we do have to factor that into the debt to income ratios. So we have to take what that normal payment is and, and factor that in. But as far as a, a negative reporting on the credit, as long as the borrower and the creditor have worked something out and it's it's going to plan it's not going to show up as a negative right now and, and the borrowers certainly have to keep their other payments current too yes absolutely so and it's and typically those payments when someone doesn't have money to make house payments those payments don't get paid either right yeah so what so, do you do can someone get a loan if they're on unemployment no and i'm so glad you brought this up <laughs> because uh, I have been asked this several times and, you know, talked to folks that ended up going, you know, on a, on a furlough or layoff or however um, their employer had to scale back. Uh, and uh, unemployment uh, income is not able to be counted as income because there's, there's no duration. 
you don't know, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a stable job. So, um, so yes, some people are hoping that it will be, uh, well, you know, I mean, it's, there's a lot of people that are making uh, some pretty decent money on the unemployment right now, but again, it's, you know, everything is temporary. So, right. uh, you know, until you're back at work, um, you know, we, we've got to have that pay stub. We've got to be able to verify you're back at work what your hours are, um, and then really dive in if you're, you know, if you are on a commission base or uh, a bonus structure of some sort, uh, we will have to get a written verification of employment and really dive into those pieces of, of fluctuating income if you don't have that just base pay only. Have the underwriters been asking the employers if they're paying their employee with the payroll protection? No, and that's a yeah, that's a great question. I love that you asked that. Um, that is not a question that is on the verification of employment uh, form. Uh, we are required to our underwriters are or excuse me, our processors are required to also do a, a Google search of that company just to see uh, if there is any you know press out there that's oh they're you know they're they're maybe unstable. Um, and so we there's a lot of different uh, factors that get taken into consideration with that, but where the funds are coming from, from the employer to pay their employees is something that, that we're not diving into right now. Okay. And so that's an interesting point that you bring up that maybe most people don't realize is certainly if you're self-employed, you're new in the business, the, the, the lenders are going to require tax returns for the last two years yes. to show income expenses and income. So they're going to need to see that if you're an employee working for a company, you got a base salary plus bonuses and incentives or stock options. They want to be able to see that history there too. Yeah. Unless, unless they can approve for financing without using that income. Yeah, they absolutely. Do it on their base and they're okay, right? Yep, absolutely. And, you know, we try to kind of go with that path of least resistance. Most of the time, if, if somebody, you know, is wanting to keep their payments pretty low compared to what their their debt to income levels are. Um, a lot of times, you know, if they're making a, a decent base, uh, you know, you can look at that and qualify without having to factor in uh, overtime and, and okay. you know, commissions and, and all of that. So, um, but another point you brought up too was that the self-employed borrower piece. Uh, so that's a, a pretty um, interesting uh, part of the industry right now because when COVID first hit, uh, the self-employed borrower um, was a lot of times just kind of the, the brakes got pumped there because they weren't tr sure how to really navigate through a self-employed uh, borrower. Like, are they still employed? You know, let's say they were in a construction uh, business that now is not working. And, you know, how do we do that? So, uh, again, guidance is uh, coming out weekly on that. They've lightened the restrictions for self-employed borrowers. Um, still going to have to show a profit and loss we're still going to have to do our our due diligence of researching you know what that viability is of that particular person who is self-employed um you know and make sure that they have the ability to repay because at the end of the day um you know we're not trying to get in there and figure out how we can deny your loan you know it's we're you're getting thousands hundreds and thousands of dollars loaned to you and you have to make sure that you can prove that you have the ability to repay that. It's all about risk layer. It's all about, um, you know, will you be able to pay back these funds? I mean, I, I know that if, uh, you know, a cousin came to me and said, hey, cuz, I want to borrow $500,000 from you. Can you just write me a check? 
you know, I'm going to dive in and say, well, let's look at some serious areas of your, your situation and uh, primarily your income piece. Are you going to be able to pay this back? And especially, especially when the interest rates are so low. I mean, yes. I, would, I wouldn't loan somebody $500,000 at 3% without yeah. some security. Yeah, you right? have to. Yeah, you have to have some security, and uh, you know, and I'm I'm glad that you know for a while the the down payment assistance programs were put on hold as well because again, you lenders look at risk layer. So the lower the down payment, the higher the risk layer. Uh, you know, the lower the credit scores, the higher the risk layer. Um, you know, income. There's there's just so many different boxes that have to be checked there. And, and not only with just for approval purposes, but that also plays into interest rates as well. So, uh, you know, if, if I have a, a credit score of, you know, 640 and I'm doing 100% financing and, you know, my brother just got uh, a loan at a, you know, smoking rate in the low threes, but mine is higher, you know, the, the factors there, are, it's two completely different risk layers. And so, uh, you have to take into consideration those aspects as well. And so really educating uh, a lot of our first time home buyers about that. You know, you're not going to get the same rate as, you know, Aunt Jan, who just refinanced her house that has 50% equity and, and she has an 800 credit score and a 20% debt to income level. You know, she's going to get much more favorable pricing because her scenario is, is totally nice. different. So totally speaking different. of which, so what, so what has changed recently with regards to loan requirements, credit? I mean, how low can someone get on? And of course, I don't know if people realize it, but in certain markets, they can still get an FHA, mm -hmm. an uh, insured loan or VA loan in certain markets. But on a, on a typical conventional, what we call a conventional conforming, and then mm -hmm. for those, there's a thing called a non-conforming or jumbo loan. Mm -hmm. What's... What does that look like? I know back in 2008, part of the problem before that was if you had credit scores under 500, nothing down, you could buy a house. If you could fog a mirror, you could buy a house. I mean, exactly. that was that was the way it, way it was. And we saw what happened from that. Right. So what uh, is it today? Yeah. So so basically, uh, you know, and it, it is it can be lender specific because different lenders have different uh, overlays that they can put on their programs, depending, you know, on, on how much exposure they want to take. So, what, um, so pause for a moment there. What is an overlay? An overlay is, uh, you know, an agency will say, OK, here's our set of guidelines to these are the minimum guidelines in order for these loans to be purchased and, and for and for you to originate and sell these loans. And so if, if you can't meet those basic requirements, then you can't, you can't move forward with the loan. Um, now, some lenders will say, okay, great, we see the basics here of what's required, the bare minimum, but uh, you know, we don't want to have certain exposure or um, you know, we're gonna tweak this just a bit, just to make sure that we are, are able to stay in business and be a viable long-standing company as well. So um, the credit score piece uh, can, can factor a little bit depending on what lender you're using. So typically, um, you know, I, I would say typically a, a 620 score is going to be a pretty minimal score for conventional. 
Um, and again, there's a lot of different factors that play into that too. So uh, if you, you run an automated underwrite and you've got a higher debt to income ratio or um, you know low, lower assets, things like that, uh, there's some compensating factors that can help uh, kind of plead your case a little bit. But you're right. I mean, you know, like one of the things that I've talked to folks about over the years is yes, you could go to Chase Bank, you can go to Banner Bank, you can go to the credit unions, but you have to fit their box or whatever yes. their product is. Yes. And whereas you as a, a, a mortgage broker, you're able to look at their whole package, credit, income, assets, and then go shop their package, so to speak, to several different lenders to find them the best possible end product. And that end product could be interest rate, cost to acquire the loan, which is your closing cost, to find something that works best for the client. Whereas there's other banks, uh, it's either you fit their filters, their criteria, and if you don't, then you have to go reapply with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Then you have to run the credit report again. Yeah, That would be what we call a hard credit review, so that'll work against your uh, your credit. So it's something to consider. So I always encourage people to go talk to a mortgage broker to, to, to allow them to, to look at your overall package because you, right, your bank, your company too can sell that loan to, to Chase. Yeah, Ab bank or absolutely. Wants to buy it. Yeah, right? Caliber, Caliber has a, a great um, you know, line of products that we are able to originate. Uh, and then, you know, before the COVID hit, uh, you know, we also had a, a great portfolio product line as well, but we do have outside sources that if it is a little bit out of the box, uh, we we can definitely take it there. Um, but again, you got to look at risk layer because if it's out of the box, if you're doing, you know, jumbo markets or, um, you know, a property that might be just a tad funky that you have to have a, a little bit more of a, a portfolio lender to help with, um, you're going to most likely pay for that in rate as well because it's it's a higher risk level well real quickly just a real little snippet if you would what is a portfolio lender i mean yeah, so, you and i talk about this we know yeah but yeah what does the average person know yeah so a portfolio lender is is typically a lender that will offer programs and products that are not the traditional conventional or government programs so um, you know, like for example, if you want to purchase a property with X amount of acreage, uh, a farm, things like that, there are niche lenders out there that will specialize in different property types or, uh, you know, a, a different program. The jumbo market's uh, notorious for this because jumbo homes, uh, sometimes it's, it's hard to get uh, comparables, you know, to, to really support that particular property. So these Portfolios are just programs and products that are offered uh, that are not of the typical fit inside this particular parameter, this box. But you take that loan as a lender and you actually stick it in your own portfolio. You hang on to it till the loan matures over time and then you go sell it to the secondary money market at that time. Jenny Mae, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, which you're government institutions that buy home loan mortgages or maybe a group of private investors. So that's therefore why you call it a portfolio loan, right? Typically, yes. Now, if it's a, a, a strange, uh, or a, a, when I say strange, I mean a, a unique property, um, you know, sometimes we could take that to a lender um, that then 
that lender uh, will run the disclosures. The loan will actually close, and that particular lender will be the servicer for it. So we kind of we act as that buffer and and uh, do the legwork and, and really help push that along to to deliver the customer service and the the options for the client. Um, but then you know we're also very good at explaining. Okay, here's how this process works. Here's really who is going to service that loan and be your lender on that program. Now you've touched upon a couple of times about jumbo loans. What is a jumbo loan? And it wasn't but 30 days ago, lenders were retreating from doing jumbo yes. loans. Yes, yes, yes. So where are we at today with you guys and what 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 constitutes a jumbo loan versus a, uh, a, a conventional loan? Yes, good question. So uh, typically the, the jumbo market is uh, loan amounts that do not fit into a conforming loan box. So they are usually higher loan amounts. Um, they are, you know, you're talking multi-million dollar properties uh, and uh, and they are bumped up over a certain loan amount. And, that, and that's gonna depend on the program, uh, you know, because there's also high balance options. There's a, I won't, I won't go into all of those tricky details, but the jumbo market, and I'll tell you why the screws got tightened on the jumbo market. Um, jumbo borrowers are amazing. Uh, typically, uh, it's you know excellent income, excellent assets. They're purchasing a property that really uh, they've got a good majority of assets to uh, to pay for it if they wanted to. And so what we saw back in the crash uh, was uh, you know people buy these beautiful homes, uh, they pay multi million dollars for, uh, and what happened in the crash? Values plummeted. So now they're sitting in this home that they have a mortgage on uh, and it's worth a fraction of what they paid for it. And they're like, you know what, we're just going to walk away and go buy uh, a home at a really great price that is, you know, what we still feel comfortable in and that will support our quality of our lifestyle there. And uh, and so they just they walked away and let them go into foreclosure because it, it didn't matter to them at that time because they had the cash to buy something else that right. was comparable right so um so again it's an, a risk layer so it's it sounds kind of strange to go wait what somebody that has a, an amazing income and and uh, assets and and they are scrutinized you know to the degree where they have to provide like just up amounts of documents and and our, our jumbo folks are like you know it's kind of scratching their head like why why is it like this uh and it's like it because those were a big chunk of folks that walked away from homes during the crash as well. So, um, you know, we just have to make sure that there's some skin in the game, that we've got a you know, place with a great lender, uh, lending products, and, um, you know, we're working closely to, to ensure that whoever's loaning on this money is going to get their paid, their sure. money back. Are you folks, uh, is your bank or your company doing jumbo loans at this time? Uh, we are starting to roll some uh, some products out, some options out again, which has been really nice. Um, and uh, every every week, it's you know I, I hate to announce what's coming out, but uh, you know because every, every week it's it's changing. And uh, but we do have uh, options and, and availability. It changes every day lately. Every day, like, yeah, it is. Uh, it's quite. It's quite something else for sure. How about interest rates? What are you know, where are interest rates today? Fifteen, thirty year, roughly, because I know we can't really dive into that. Right, it's all right. subject to credit. It's all subject to whatever the market is. I think one of the hardest things that you guys do in your business is that the people get online, 
They look at rocket mortgage. They look at this mortgage, at that mortgage, and they see these interest rates. What people don't typically understand is that, yeah, that might be the interest rate, but until they get a look at your income and your assets and your credit, at the end of the day, you might get that interest rate, but it might cost you a lot of money to get it up front. Absolutely. Right? Or you're going to pay a higher interest rate, less cost. So what is what are you guys promoting under your best practice consumer? Yes. Yeah. I'm so glad that you uh, brought that point up as well, because that is uh, a typical misconception. You can hop on line and get quotes from you know 10 different lenders and they're gonna give you these amazing rates but until they you know they look under the hood uh those rates are about as good as uh you know me telling you i'm a size two you know uh so it's it's one of those things where uh, much like being a doctor you know until you can get in and diagnose a, a situation it's really anybody's guess so Obviously, the most favorable rates are going to be your conventional loan products. Um, you know, if somebody's putting 20% down, you know, has, you know, scores in the, the up, you know, mid to upper 700s, great debt to income, you know, they're going to be in, in the low threes, uh, if not a little bit lower. And, and again, there's also options to, to buy the rate down a bit. And so that's something that you can discuss with your lender and, and see, you know, okay, well, what what are our options here? Now, then, when you bump into the government realm, uh, FHA uh, FHA loans are, um, you know, they're they're still really competitive. Depending on how much you're putting down, we're still seeing those rates in the threes. Unless you're doing a down payment assistance program, then those are now, you know, right about four and a quarter uh, and on up range. Um, but one thing I, I like to always tell people is, if you're doing a, a down payment assistance program like uh, Washington State Bond, for example, um, those those rates are are chosen by Washington State Bond. So that's not something that you could go to Caliber and say, okay, Marilyn, what's your what's your bond rate? And then you hop over to another lender and ask them what their rate is because it's the same rate sheet. It's published by Washington State Housing Finance Commission. So, um, and again, those can be in the the fours and up, uh, depending on risk level. Um, and same with jumbo. It, same with, uh, you know, if you can find a portfolio program right now, they're a little bit tight on those, but, uh, uh, you know, average rates are, are in that, that th mid three to lower. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So we'll kind of wind up here a little bit. How about the process? How long does it take from oh. day, a real estate agent or the buyer comes to you and says, here, I've got a contract with a house and uh, when can I expect to have it? Close. Yes. Great, great question. And uh, so I'm going to say typical conventional loan. Uh, it all all depends on the, the company you're working with, of course. Uh, Caliber is amazing and has local under, underwriting, local processing. So we have a lot more control over how we can move those those files through the system. Um, but right now for, for typical conventional, um, I would probably just to say 30 day close is is going to be a, a safe zone provided uh, you know the client so the client can help this process quite a bit too by being super responsive so if something is requested getting it back you know in 24 hours or less so that way we can move that forward that is a, a lifesaver and really the biggest game changer with how quick you can get that loan through um, so you know Property's got to be decent. You know, if the inspector goes out there and there's broken pipes and all that stuff, then you've got to reset expectations with that. So 
quick answer is uh, conventional, looking about 30 days. If we've got a little bit less than that, we can swing that, I'm sure. Um, all the all uh, parameters depending there. Uh, government loans, uh, VA loans uh, are taking you know, about, I, I like to have a 45 day close with those because we're a little bit at the mercy of a, a VA appraisal there. Um, all of the appraisal uh, timeframes right now are- You know, they're not too bad. They've actually uh, come back into a acceptable range right now, which has been great. Uh, so, you know, we're seeing appraisals come back uh, within, you know, a week and a half. Um, you know, VA appraisals obviously can take a little bit longer, but, um, you know, working, working closely with your lender and making sure that you've got a great lender that communicates and resets expectations. If there's a hiccup, that that's key. Okay. Um, but yeah. And, right. and same with FHA as well. So, well, I know there's a hundred million questions I can ask you. I've been in the business for a very long time. So, and I know the buyers looking to buy or maybe refinance your mortgage. They've got a ton of questions and this podcast today isn't about answering every little question that's out there. Everyone's got their own unique story, their own unique path of where they want to go with financing a second home, refinancing an existing home, maybe going out and buying another home. So with that, I would encourage anyone that's listening uh, to reach out to Marilyn. Her uh, cell number is 425-290-2050. She's a Caliber Home Loans. And what's your email address if they want to reach out to you via email? Yeah. Yes, it is uh, Marilyn.Conyers at CaliberHomeLoans.com. Uh, so it's M-A-R-I-L-Y-N dot C-O-N-Y-E-R-S at CaliberHomeLoans with an S dot com. And I think you shared with me last time you've been in the mortgage business, what, 18 years? Oh, boy, I don't even like to admit it. Yes, 18 years. I started in third grade. <laughs> nice. All right. All right. I didn't realize they had that option when you're in the third grade. It, it was an elective. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Marilyn, I thank you so much for visiting us today. Lots of good information. Again, I encourage everyone that's thinking about getting financing for a home to at least reach out to her, chat with her. Uh, and see if she might be someone that you feel comfortable doing business with. And I know that you'll probably shop other loans and other interest rates, but uh, I think you might be doing yourself a disservice if you don't at least reach out to Marilyn and, and, and let her at least try to earn your business. So with that, have a great week. And I think next week I may revisit the credit and have Maria Kay with her company, uh, KW Law, talk about credit issues again and the forbearance issue. Might even bring back a building inspector and talk about that as a refresher of the different types of things uh, we can do to protect you during the home buying process. So thanks again for listening. This is Ray Dove, REMAX Eastside Brokers, Inc. This is real estate, keeping it simple.